Here we are again for yet another uh, episode of the Mild-Mannered Army podcast with me, Mild-Mannered Max, and I'm joined, as ever now, by Mr Nick Amies, who you will know as an author, a journalist, a cultural commentator, but uh, a quick Google search reveals uh, some little-known facts about Nick. Uh, First of all, I've discovered that he actually played Adrian Mole in the ITV series in the 1980s, and that his uh, love interest, Pandora Braithwaite, was played by none other than Justine Frischman of Elastica. Nick, why don't you tell us about that? Oh yeah, it was short but passionate. (laughs) (laughs) Describes my stature as well. I'm profoundly in love with Pandora. I can't remember the rest of the theme tune to that, but I I see there is actually a musical version of The Secret Diary of Adrian Moore playing in London's theatre district just now. Uh, It's just seen seen Frischman in it. Well, I mean, I think there's a little bit of Justine Frischman in everything and in everybody. Yeah, so they say. (laughs) (laughs) We don't don't want to get into that. It was the 90s after all. We have we have we have uh, reversed in a cul-de-sac from which there is no escape. Right. Okay. Yeah. So the reason for this episode, Nick, really is uh, this business that was started by our good friend James over at the Oasis Podcast, the world's premier Oasis Podcast, and he had come up with this notion to celebrate the birthday of the Oasis Podcast of doing uh, a top 20 and a bottom 20 uh, Oasis songs ranked. Now, I've, I've never been good at that, the idea of sort of, you know, ranking songs, this is the best, this is the worst, and, and what I tend to do instead is try and put these things into some kind of chronological order, that always works better for me. I'm, I'm no good at bests and worsts, because I think y- your, your opinion changes all the time, right? I'd say so, yeah. Um, I mean, so I, I, I haven't actually well i had a go at doing this just recently just this afternoon actually and i managed to get a list of songs but i wouldn't uh, yeah it's really hard to put them in order so yeah yeah i think so and 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 his his list was was really interesting there was uh, a lot of things in there that i would agree with um uh i mean he's he's the expert i guess right i mean you know he he knows more about oasis than than most um although you're no slouch in this area yourself of course nick Uh, but um, I decided that what I was going to do was, as ever, do things the mild man and max way. I like to have rules for these lists, so there was to be no singles. I didn't want any singles included in my list. I felt like that was a, an easy option. Uh, would be just to rattle off, you know, ten of the singles and then ten or five album tracks and five B sides. So I, I didn't want any singles. I didn't really want to include anything that James had included in his list, although. I then balls that up by including Let's All Make Believe, but that's so good that I felt like we would just let the rule go. Um, and I also decided no cover versions. I didn't want any of the cover versions. Um, and that there had to be at least one track from each of the studio albums included here as well. And it's interesting, when you when you take out James's 20 songs and you take out the rest of the singles, the, the, the field narrows considerably around you. Um, you know, because there are, like most bands, there's there's filler on, on some of these Oasis albums. Um, so 
Uh, here, here were my 20 then, and we'll just get your thoughts on each of these as, as we go along, Nick. So the, okay. the first one I chose was from Definitely Maybe. Uh, so we're back in 1994, uh, an album that celebrates its 25th anniversary this year, which is incredible, really. And um, I picked, because of the rules that I'd put in place, this was made a little bit easier. I picked Bring It On Down. And I, I, I included this because, for me, it's a really kind of beefy, you know, blistering, blustering uh slab of rock and roll you know and it really for me it captures a whole load of the things that made that first incarnation of oasis so great It's loud, it's furious, there's a flurry of noise, there's a wall of sound, and it's got that great line, you're the outcast, you're the underclass, but you don't care because you're living fast. Yeah, Thoughts on yeah. Bring It On Down? <clears throat> well, it's the one which uh, convinced McGee, apparently, isn't it? That, and that ah. line, that line, I think, was the one which uh, really dragged him in in King Tut's that night. And uh, yeah, well, I agree with you. It's a, it's a thumping tune. I think it has what one of these. Uh, it's got the most kind of punky quality to it as well. One of those from uh, definitely maybe, which you know everyone had this lazy idea that they were trying to be the Beatles when they were much more sounding like the Sex Pistols on some and Slade on the other. And absolutely, you know, yeah, you know, I, I, I couldn't <laughs> agree any more with that. I, I don't think I would have bought into Oasis the, the, the way that I did, and the way that I've continued to had it just been the the what people like to claim which is this kind of oasis tribute uh, beatles tribute band thing i i just don't buy into that at, at, at all and i think you're right there's a real sex pistols slade glam rock punk thing that that runs through that whole album definitely but and i think that that would have appealed to mcgee as well right i mean he's an old punk rocker at heart so he oh, would yeah. have loved that and he's a he's a committed socialist right so champagne socialist maybe nowadays but you know he would have he would have loved that idea of being the outcast and the underclass that would have sat very well with a man from the the west coast of scotland i think yeah i think that's why yeah and i remember i went to see them once in i think it was 2002 and they actually opened with that and that was absolutely amazing. No one expected that at all. And that place just kicked off. They probably hadn't played it for like 10 years or so before. Well, more, more wow. than that, but, you know, six years or something like that. And they played it, opened up in uh, Dusseldorf to that. And that was, uh, that was an emotional moment, that was. I actually played it down the phone to a friend of mine. He, and he told me later on that it actually blew his eardrums out. So it must have been, must have been <laughs> adequately loud for the boys. 
There you go. I would think so. Well, moving on to my second choice, um, I, I picked a, a B-side from the first Oasis single that I bought, which was um, Shaker Maker. I, I was late to the party. I'd, I'd heard Supersonic, uh, but I certainly didn't own a, a, a white label demo copy of Columbia. Um, and so I picked up uh, Shaker Maker, really liked it, but it was, it was this. It was, do you want to be a spaceman? something quite uh, poignant about it. It was kind of a, a shimmering, shining, hopeful, uh, light of touch song, you know? And I, I love that that line as well. There's another great line in here. We could just forget about life in this town. And, and you and I have talked about this notion. And it's a cliche, Nick, you know, about kids wanting to escape the, the, the towns that they're living in. When we've discussed people like Suede and when we've discussed modern life as rubbish. But a cliche it may be, but it's true. It's true. If, if you're living in one of those nowhere towns, or even if you're living in a place like Manchester, but you feel hemmed in, you just want to forget about that life. You you, you want to get out. You want to get somewhere else. And lots of times that, of course, for people is London. But it, for me, forgetting about life in this town, the town where I grew up, was just about being anywhere other than there. And so yeah. she, do you want to be a spaceman really resonated with me? Yeah, yeah. I, um, I agree with you on that too. I think that... The, the message or the, the sentiment in the song came a little bit later after the jauntiness of it. That's, that seemed to be the thing which kind of stood out for me, which was how much that was in contrast to the more punky aspects and the loud rock and roll aspects. And it was very kind of, you know, slightly kinksy in its way. That is kind of, sure. Noel was kind of like, strumming along and jauntily singing along and then when you do listen to it it's like yeah yeah well there's there's always the the, the really great bands have got light and shade mm. the, the the smiths had real moments of you know comic deafness uh, the kinks had it the jam had it. It, it it wasn't all you know hopelessness and despair uh, that that is that is very unsatisfying for me when a band just, you know, is operating on one, with one note or on one level, you know, I like it when there can be, you know, different things going on, sometimes within the same song, right? It's one of the reasons why I don't really enjoy uh, Radiohead. I, I feel that it's, for all the creativity that's clearly on display and for all the, the, the craft and guile, um, it, it just it, it just doesn't work for me. I find it too much. It's, it's too... It's too heavy, man. Whereas with Oasis, <laughs> even though some of these lighter songs, uh, musically lighter songs, uh, can lift your spirits, quite often the lyrical content is quite quite moving, which I think brings us nicely to my next choice, which was Half the World Away. Smell too pretty. Well, I can see the warning 
side to whatever and of course was the the theme tune to the royal family which uh, for people maybe listening outside of the uk who don't know is a classic british comedy about a working class family in the north of england and almost all of the action takes place in a sitting room with people sitting on sofas watching television with nothing happening which i guess nick you and i probably had working class slash lower middle class upbringings that was kind of our life and so whenever I hear this song I see that show hmm. and I see my, I see my life kind of reflected back at me a little bit yeah yeah it wasn't far off when I was growing up too but um yeah, yeah I love that song too I think that's a great it's a great Noel song and whenever whenever he plays it live whether or not it's backed up by I don't know a huge orchestra or it's just him with one guitar you know it's such an affecting song and uh although it does kind of bring the royal family to mind it's it's just you know it, it takes you away i think it's a beautiful song also uh, yeah that made my top 20 as well oh good good common ground yeah. right now we we move on to uh, what's the story morning and glory which of course is the moment that things go from the fringes and burst right into the mainstream you know it's peak brit pop it's peak oasis it's the moment they they go from being our band to be in everybody's band and I've picked from this uh, Cast No Shadow funny I wrote on the site when I was writing about this that there seemed to be at this point a bit of a theme developing in the choices I was making and I mm-hmm. think it's it's because of where I've been at uh, in my personal life and it's been it's been a, a fairly turbulent traumatic uh, period in my life a little hopeless in some ways a little bit helpless in other ways feeling as the uh, indie band Bradford would have it adrift again but here, though, when I listened to Cast No Shadow, the thing that came to mind was I had this enormous feeling that I had bought into a false saviour in the form of the Smiths. And that actually the Smiths, who for a long time, I used to talk about how the Smiths had saved my life. And you hear this from Smiths fans all the time, you know, these are the songs that saved my life. I don't know where I'd be without Morrissey. I'm not so sure that actually that that was true. I'm not so sure there was a solution. I'm not so sure that Morrissey was offering any solutions to that particular condition of hopelessness. But when I listen to Oasis now, these very poignant moments, even though there is poignancy and sadness here, there is also something really 
life affirming. And I don't know what that's about. I don't know if it's about Noel's melodies, if it's Liam's voice, if it's Noel's voice. But I feel like there's more hope in Oasis than there was in some of these bands that I threw my lot in with. That's quite the confession for me. Yeah, yeah. But um, you have to think about the time as well, don't you? I mean, you have to think about what kind of attitude and feeling there was kind of coursing through everyone at that time. I mean, I think in the 80s, sure. 80s when... Uh, the Smiths were kind of at their height and uh, it was probably a lot more desperate and there was less hope on the horizon. But I think when, okay, so many of these songs, which Noel Gallagher put on the first two or three albums were written a long time before, but they were still early nineties. And you could hope at that point that whatever the nastiness was, which was kind of grinding down the youth that was going to disappear at some point, couldn't go on forever. It had been going on for long enough. And I think there was a sign, or there was a, at least a little bit of glimmer of hope, which Noel put into those songs. He could see a little bit out of the tunnel, I think, at that point. And especially when things got going, and uh, you could really feel that things were changing and that we had some kind of control back. I think that crept into some of these songs and then so even the melancholic ones there's still there's still something shining at the end of it and i think that's because of the timing i, th- I think that's that's all true nick and there's some great points there i think also there's something about noel himself he, he doesn't strike me as a man who does kind of um self-loathing or self-pity you know he's he's supremely confident and when he talks about his childhood you know I I think everybody knows what kind of home he came from what kind of man his father was but he refuses to be beaten down by it right he's he's one of those people who's just kind of fronted up the demons and said no you you're not winning and I I think that's why there's that kind of life-affirming mm. hopefulness that, that runs through a lot of his stuff as well. You know, he's 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 not a victim, right? No Gallagher's not a victim. No, no, no. Well, I saw him quite often re-watch some of these old interviews, which are still available on YouTube, and I watched the one he did on Parkinson, where he yeah. talks about his dad's uh, physical abuse. And he's like, why should I write about that? You know, why does that interest anybody? And, you know, it was just normal in those days. It was 70s Manchester. Everyone was on our street was getting beaten and like dads were coming home drunk and doing all this. And, you know, it's not doesn't make it right. But that's just what it was. So I'm not going to write about that. You know, I'm going to write about more hopeful stuff. And you know, who wants to know about that part of my life? And, you know, that, that's never inspired him. He's never felt that he wanted to write about that. So maybe that's, you know, as you're saying. He's writing more about it from an optimistic point of view, the more of confident part of him is uh, coming out in these songs. But also, too, I mean, it, there was violence in your family, wasn't there? Your father was a violent Well, man. yeah. Not, I, saying that, I thought I, not, not any more than probably any other of my mates' families on our streets, you know what I mean? But that wouldn't be saying much, would it? Because, I mean, you grew up in a very tough neighbourhood. Yeah, but it was the 70s, and this was before the New Age man was you know, the trendy thing to be, you know what I mean? There was like, it was a violent time in the 70s anyway, do you know what I mean? Um, There's been change, not changing nappies, your dad, and beating you up, for God's sake. I mean, that's what he used to do. He used to beat you. Yeah, he did, yeah. Well, oh, you know. And you used to lie awake at night, waiting in your bed, and thinking, is he going to come in and whack me? Yeah. And and you developed a stammer because of that? Yeah. Where well, don't you know all this? <laughs> yeah, he's a fascinating character. Say, say what you will. Um, okay, so 1996 now, and it's the B-side to Don't Look Back in Anger, Step Out. 
Right then, I'm going to sing you the song now. Any company comes got a problem with that? This one's called Step Out. borrows heavily from uh, Love 45 by Orange Deluxe uh, or, or is it or is it as is more likely borrowing from uh, Uptight by Stevie Wonder can we can we put borrowing in speech marks here Nick I mean is it is it just a straight rip off well he gets a credit as well doesn't he Stevie that's Wonder? right he does yeah well I think that kind of answers your question <laughs> And the amount of money which they had to pay as well. So I think, <laughs> I go, and when you when when it comes in, when it comes into the chorus, you're just like, oh, you can't do that. It's like that story about Bonehead when there was what song was it they're doing? Oh yeah, but when uh, when he first came into the re- rehearsal room and started playing cigarettes and alcohol, he says, "You can't do that. That's T Rex." <laughs> It gives a fuck. that was going to hear it anyway, and of course, and then like millions of people do. But, um, but uh, with this one, yeah, it's uh, it, it's it's clearly ripped off, and there's no getting away from the fact that that is that's Stevie Wonder. But it's a great song. I love it, and uh, and just to see it live as well. It's like that's for me when you watch. I think it's the the Wembley shows, the two thousand Wembley shows, when he he plays it on his own. And it's just like. Oh man, that's what it means to be a rock star. You're there, you've got your Les Paul, and you're like rocking out to that. <laughs> and then a full Wembley Stadium is just going completely nuts. And your brother's, you know, he's done one, he's off the stage. It's all about you. And that's why he's got his guitar up in the air and he's loving it. That's what I really, that's when, that's peak Noel Gallagher for me. Right. Now, the only song that I have chosen that has prompted somebody to say something online that was. Negative, not not an attack on me, just a kind of silly throwaway remark. You know, they were kind of going, "What you've chosen this," um, and I picked "Be Here Now" from "Be Here Now." Are you mad for it? And Be Here Now is a funny album, right? At the, at the time it was released, everybody loved it. You know, it was kind of lauded by the critics. And then the tide began to turn a little bit and people began to get very sniffy about it and, you know, kind of not treat it with the same reverence as the first two albums. I love it, I have to say. 
I, I think it's a great album. I think there's so much good stuff on there. Do you know what I mean? My Big Mouth, Don't Go Away, Stand By Me, Fade In Out, All Around the World with all its madness. And I actually really like Be Here Now. I think it's a bit of a bit of a banger. You know, it chugs <laughs> and churns away, it soars and swoops. You know, there's a pound and beat in there. It's a bit nursery rhyme-ish. You know, it's not going to win an Ivor Novello Award for anybody, but, you know, it's a rock and roll song. Oh, totally. Opening up to that, I was, uh, I think it was at Wembley Arena on the Be Here Now tour and I went to see them. I opened up to that. Of course, he had the stupid bloody telephone boxing to start with. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, the, and the concierge running around, like, waving the crowd up and trying to get them, you know, that was all ridiculously spinal tapped beyond, re- <laughs> beyond recognition. But then they come out and they play Be Here Now and it's like, well, yeah, that's proper. You know, wash your face in the morning sun. Why not? Ah, oh, fantastic. You do that every day. And you're right, it is a stompers. And uh, like you say, it's not it's not going to win any awards for originality or for lyrical content. But, you know, if you feel like you need to walk down the street with a bit of attitude in your ears, then put that on for sure. That's one one which really hits a spot. And I'm with you with, uh, with Be Here Now. I think I'm a little bit less generous with it than than you may be i think um fading out is like something bon jovi left behind to start with at least <laughs> does it doesn't sound like was it blaze of glory to start with or something you think what's going on here we get johnny depp on there it's like i'll oh, have a word with yourself get, get, the, get, get the film stars in as they say but no um, Co- yeah, cocaine. Um, cocaine seems to do very strange things to people. Now you have to remember, I've I've led a very sheltered life in very many ways, you know. But when I when I when you say things like that, and when I listen to things like "Be Here Now," and when I watch the you know the the, the phone box at these gigs and all that kind of stuff, I think, wow, cocaine must really pack a punch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think when uh, there was a bit in my book, I think I, I mentioned that when they had this. Uh, they had this discussion about what, having the stage set. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're around Noel's kitchen table, and a few lines have been had, obviously, at that point. And he said, yeah, yeah, we should have a, we should have a massive uh, telephone box on stage. And he said, at that point, I really wish someone had said, you better go and have a lie down. But of course they didn't. And then, then they opened the first night. I think it's in Stockholm on the first night of the Be Here Now tour. And they walk out on stage and look at it and go, oh, it's fucking stupid. It looks terrible. <laughs> it's ridiculous what we're doing. But then they'd, play, they'd paid for it and they were stuck with it. So they had to carry on. But there you go. Cocaine well, is a hell of a drug. Just, just when you, you say that, Nick, it's uh, worth mentioning, of course, to people who have not listened before or who are not f- uh, familiar with your work. You did indeed write a book about Oasis. Uh, and it was called Where Did It All Go Wrong? And it kind of looks at the that era, right? That kind of post-millennial era in, in the Oasis story, um, which I believe people can still order from uh, good bookshops and online. Yeah, that's true. I've got a mention today as well through your your um, promoting of your 20. Somebody uh, uh, got onto that part of the uh, discussion, so I'm, I'm very grateful for that. Yeah, it's still available. Yeah. Still available in all good bookshops. Right, uh, well, <laughs> from, the, from the ridiculous to the sublime, yes. uh, Stand By Me is the big single, uh, I guess, around about this point in 1997. But the B-side is this really dreamy, mournful, 
a plaintive but again quite hopeful song you know with a great string arrangement you know guitars brass and a beautiful vocal from Noel and that's going nowhere which I wrote in my piece about it, I felt there was something thematically, at least, maybe in the lyrical content, in common with the jams to be someone, which, of course, no later covered for the Fire and Skill tribute album to the jam. Um, I think it's one of those songs that maybe the casual listener, not that I'm much more than that myself, but the casual casual listener maybe would have let slip by them, but it's very definitely one of my favourite Oasis songs. It's a good song for sure, yeah. I was just wondering, I was just, now you mentioned the, the jam, I'm just wondering if Weller, did Weller cover it or was it? Oh. Uh, no, I think there's, there's another one on Studio 501 or whatever the album's called. One Way Road, that's it, that's the Oasis one. That's not um, going nowhere, One Way Road, that's it, yeah, that's the one. This one is uh, written by Mr. Noel Gallagher and it's something called One Way Road. is really a Noel Gallagher song right this this is the kind of thing Noel does and probably was doing you know in a fug of uh, marijuana smoke in India buildings in Manchester you know long before Oasis were even a twinkle in anybody's eye he was probably playing this or something similar to it um, as he as he dreamed of you know a life outside of the 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 life he was leading as a roadie It's, it's a really beautiful song I really love it yeah, I do too, actually. Right, now we get to the, the, the track that I share in common with uh, James and the Oasis podcast, and I make a... I think it can only be described as a ridiculous statement about this. Um, so this is Let's All Make Believe. Just what they mean, or is it too late? 
I think this has something of the Bond theme about it. <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> I, I do, honestly, I do. I really do. And I, I think it's maybe only the first sort of 30 to 45 seconds, but there's something quite dramatic and orchestral. You know, and I can see those sort of shadowy shapes that kind of shimmer across the screen at the start of Bond films, you know. Mm. Um, I can see that as, as it kind of plays. I, yeah, it's a very it's a very important song to me and a very one of my favourite Oasis songs out of all of them, full stop. Um, I'd just moved down to London. It was my first real job. I was living in Holloway and I was working in the city of London amongst all the bankers and rhyming slam slime I don't know, <laughs> rhyming slang bankers. And um yeah. And I I found out, you know, very quickly who were real friends and who weren't and uh, that kind of has that theme to it like you yeah know, let's all make believe we're still friends and we like each other we love each other and um yeah there was a, a good friend from way back came through for me at that time and uh, that that's a kind of theme song from that time which really sticks with me and uh, put your money where your mouth is standing on the shoulder of giants I, and I said about this that it was this kind of rock and roll filth right with a little mm. bit of the fury it's it, again it's that kind of punk thing I think coming through and I, I specifically said that this is what the Rolling Stones would sound like if they were as good as people think they are um, <laughs> the, no, the lyrics like the lyrics are a bit phoned in for sure you know it's I don't think Noel's got any great effort they're probably written on the back of a fag packet at some point Mm. But I don't think it really matters because it's just a real good old-fashioned banger, right? Yeah, stomps along. I'm glad you didn't pick. I can see a liar. Uh, <laughs> I actually, I actually picked maybe three from that album because I, I'm actually a really big fan of "Standing on the Shoulder of Giants." But I wouldn't have picked that one. I do like it, but I, it would would come in maybe fourth or fifth. Well, w- w- what about the, the next one that I chose from, from there then, uh, from Sand on the Shoulder of Giants, which was Where Did It All Go Wrong? Would that have featured? Oh yeah, you, yours, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that's my that's my favourite from Standing on the Shoulder of Giants. Yeah, I, I, I that's one of my favourites too. I, I really love that song too. I, I always go my go to uh, 
kind of gas panic, even who feels love. I know that's kind of sneered at by a lot of people as being kind no, of I like cod, it. cod psychedelic, but it has something. I really love that song too. And uh, yeah, yeah, I, I would go with that. I, I, I agree. That's a good Oh, good. Well, that's good. That, that's that's two, uh, two ticks from um, <laughs> Standing on the Shoulder of Giants. Well, lovely people, that is the end of this episode of the Mild Man and Valley podcast. That's the first 10 songs in my list of the 20 best Oasis songs. Uh, hopefully you've enjoyed it. And uh, if you have, you might want to think about heading over to Patreon and pledging to support the Mild-Mannered Army from as little as 77 pence a month. That's one American dollar. And for that 77 pence a month, you get a warm, tingly feeling inside, knowing that you're helping somebody out a little bit. But you also get a lovely Britpop mix CD compiled by me, sent direct to you, maybe... Maybe they've been a little tiny sweet treat in the envelope and a handwritten letter. When was the last time you got a handwritten letter? Or a mixed tape slash CD for that matter. The answer is it's probably been 20 years. So that's got to be worth 77 pence a month. Anyway, you can head over to at Max on Twitter to find out more about that. It's pinned to my Twitter profile, all the Patreon details. And you could also give me a follow there. You might also want to think about following my uh, co-host, Mr. Nick Amies. He's at Nick Amies over on Twitter. And uh, do think about uh, his Oasis book, Where Did It All Go Wrong? Which you can certainly find on Amazon. It's a terrific read. Thank you very much, my friends, for listening. And uh, whatever God you happen to believe in, may he or she bless you. And if you don't believe in any God, well, that's fine. Just have a lovely day. Bye.